This is Focal Point for Tuesday the 13th of September 2011, writing a book together. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello Chris, how are you going? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? I'm happy. I've just come back from a little trip away to Bustleton, which is one of the places down south from here in Perth, and uh, spent a few days away working on two books, actually, one which, we're, which we are writing together and is almost published, and another one which I'm working on also with somebody else. So that was a really productive trip, and I really enjoyed that combination of a little bit of relaxation and also working. And highly productive. Yeah, and I think part of it was that I was away from my normal workplace because I could have taken those four days, four or five days actually. I could have taken that time at home and uh, just taken the time off and worked from home. But I found that getting away and actually driving away made a difference. It changed my mindset and it gave me the chance to give me some permission to relax and also gave me the chance to work as well. Very good. And as I said, I was working on our book, which we've mentioned a couple of times, but the book is called Out of Office, and uh, I guess we should say the website is outofofficebook.com, and we're very close to publishing it, so my job down in Bustleton was actually doing my last proofread of it, and I guess you might want to do one last detailed proofread, Chris, and maybe in the next couple of weeks, I hope by the time we do our next podcast, the book will be in our hot little hands. Fingers crossed. Yes, that's right. Holding our, holding the book in our hot little hands with our fingers crossed. <laughs> That'll be very interesting. Um, but actually, that's what we're going to talk about today. So we, we thought we'd talk about in this episode of Focal Point, the process that we went through in writing this book. And part of the reason, of course, is because it's been an ex- exciting and interesting process for us. And partly because we want to share some of the online tools that we used. Even though we work in the, work and live in the same city, there were some really interesting online collaboration, collaboration tools that we used, which I think would be useful for anyone else as well. Absolutely, and there are many of those collaboration tools are what we actually talk about in the book. So collaborating out of office is also what we used to write a book. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I guess let's get started, Chris, and we should go back to when we first started, which I was looking back at some old files, and I think it was around, it was more than a year ago, I think it was around about May or June last year, I found a file, that the initial file that you created for our project plan was around about July, and I think you did that after our initial discussion, so it was over a year ago, and to be honest, I thought we'd have it published by this time last year, so I thought the process might take about five to six months, and it's taken another 12 months on top of that. But I think as a result of that, we're going to have a much better book. I thought you, I recall you saying that we would have it out by last Christmas. <laughs> we're going to have it out by your birthday, Chris, and uh, which was close to Christmas, and it will definitely be out by your birthday this year. That's right. <laughs> uh, and I guess the idea came to, well, initially the idea came to me because we've been publishing focal point for quite a while and I was looking at some of the episodes that we've done and a number of them were about working out of office and I thought that I didn't have the title in mind at the time but I thought that because you and I were both working out of office and we'd done a number of podcasts about that thought we had enough material for about half a book in those podcasts and then we could fill it in with some of the others so the so the idea was to take some of the material we've already done and also write some ourselves and for me I, I really would 
like I was looking forward to the idea of working together with you. I, I like writing, so it was, writing is easier for me than it is for a lot of people. And also gave me a chance to talk about the things that I do, my own work style, which a lot of people talk uh, talk to me about, and they they admire it and say, I wish I could be as flexible and mobile as you and uh, work out of a backpack. And this is a chance to share some of the ideas to, to help them get to that level. Yeah, and I think my goals were similar, Gihan, when you first broached the subject. Uh, I liked the idea of doing it with you because I knew, I knew that you had lots of experience publishing books. It was part of your work and your job. And uh, hopefully fame and fortune would follow that. So <laughs> remains to be seen. Good luck with that. <laughs> but uh, our initial discussions were really about uh, getting a, an idea of who we were writing the book for. Who was our ideal reader? Was it going to be... Uh, someone like ourselves who are interested in telecommuting or was it going to be targeted uh, businesses and organisations from the perspective of allowing their workforce to telecommute and eventually we decided we'd focus on individuals rather than organisations and perhaps uh, that would be material for a second book uh, from the perspective of um, organisations and businesses that want their employee or want to allow their employees the freedom to telecommute and work out of office. But once we'd settled on that idea, uh, that clarity meant that we could easily work independently from each other, because that's exactly how we were going to do it, uh, without getting off track. And when we reviewed each other's work, we'd have uh, that target and goal in mind, and that would make that process more easy as well. I think this is really important, I mean, especially when you're collaborating, when you're working together with somebody else. I remember when I was first, when I was writing my first book, I remember going to a seminar where uh, it was by somebody who'd, ri- who'd written and published a number of books, and he said the first thing you have to know is who's your market and who's your ideal reader. And he was only talking about if you're writing a book yourself, but I think especially if you're collaborating with someone, having that really clear in our mind at the start um, makes it makes it really, makes a big difference to working together, because as you said, Chris, you could work, go off and work independently. And we did spend quite a bit of time on that. I remember we had uh, not heated discussions, but fairly intense discussion about that, just to be sure who our ideal reader was, so that we weren't both going off and writing books for, for different people. That's right. Yeah, I remember those. I think one of the initial, we'll talk about it then in the next section, but the model was looked like it was a, a journey from working as a desk jockey all the way to what we call a digital nomad, which I was a bit uncomfortable with, and we reshaped it as you're about to talk about, Kihan, in the model. Yeah, in fact, that's a, that's a good thing to talk about next, which is the model. So we started by designing, and when I say model, it's like the big picture for the book. So in essence, we were designing them the main chapters. Uh, and the way we did it, and the way I always like to put together presentations or books or anything I do, is to create some sort of model, which is a diagram, which is a diagram that gives people the big picture overview of the book. And uh, this turned out to be a three-by-three three model, so we had nine main chapters. And as you said, Chris, we started with this idea desk jockey, who's somebody who's stuck in the office, and then moving across to semi-commuter, part-time, which is a part-time telecommuter, then the e-worker, which is full-time telecommuter, and then the digital nomad, which is somebody who... Um, has the flexibility to work from anywhere. And that getting that model right at the start was also really useful. And we did we did spend quite a bit of time discussing it, modifying it, eventually agreeing on it. And that, that meant that it was fairly easy to split up the work based on that model. So after we had that model in place, we broadly said, well, here's who, like, we allocate a responsibility for each chapter. Yeah, so that was the point at which uh, the rubber hit the road and you and I actually had to start doing things. Uh, At that point, we'd been using Google Docs 
to share uh, documents like that model that you drafted, Gihan, and we'd met up a couple of times at UniClub, your favourite um, out-of-office venue, and of course we'd, we'd shared things by email, we'd uh, sent messages to and fro about uh, what we liked and disliked about the model, and as we regularly do our Focal Point podcast using Skype, we'd often um, have a bit of a chat after our, our, our podcast recordings about uh, our work on the book. So various collaboration tools that we're using there for sharing documents and for doing deferred communication, getting uh, the initial shape of the book in place so that we can actually start doing some writing. Yeah, which which we then went on to do, and I guess the, as, I, as I said at the start, some of the some of the book's content came from some focal point podcasts. Um, this isn't always the case, of course. Like if you're working together with somebody on a book, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have some material to start with. But we were lucky because we did have some. So we had so some. I think we had about ten or eleven uh, focal point recordings, some episodes that we'd done, which we thought here's some material for the book. So the first thing we did was we got them transcribed. So we went to Elance and. Got a got a transcriber. In fact, I've worked with somebody, Barbara, in Texas, who's done a lot of work for me in the past, and I just sent the work to her and said, "Could you transcribe these eleven podcast episodes?" And, and getting a transcript is literally just that: you just get the same words that we spoke, uh, but written out. So the transcript wasn't really in a form that would be suitable for a book. It could have been that we took the we took the transcripts and then massaged them so that they would read well for a book. And we could have done that, and I'm sure that some people do. But what we decided was to invest a little bit of money in a ghostwriter. So we had somebody to take those transcripts and rewrite them in a form that would look reasonable for a book. There are a couple of ways of doing this, and I know that... Different people have done this different ways. So one is you could just send that off to the ghostwriter and say, just come back with something, whatever you can do. But I think, Chris, both you and I are a bit perfectionist when it comes to writing and a little bit um, obsessed about style and style, I guess. And so we decided to actually put some work into giving the ghostwriter um, some guidance. So we started by creating a detailed table of contents. Uh, for the book. So we took our nine chapters and even broke it down into little sections within that and then went through the 11 transcripts that Barbara gave us and kind of cross-referenced that to the table of contents. So we just added little comments saying this section belongs in this part of the book. Uh, I also went to the trouble of drafting the introduction so that, and and you had a chance to review that, Chris, before we pass it on to Justina, ghostwriter, so that she could match our style. And then we, we sent all of that to Elance. So we put up a project on Elance, including the introduction, including a couple of the transcripts so people could, so the, the people bidding on it could see what sort of work would be involved. We put the draft table of contents there so they could see what we were aiming for. And we made it very clear that we didn't want somebody to write a book. We wanted somebody to write little sections of the book. And I think that helped because it, we weren't getting somebody who was going to bid on writing a whole book. We got somebody a little bit cheaper because she knew that she was just writing little sections and didn't have to come up with the finished product. Yeah, and uh, the finished product was pretty good. It took a lot of uh, heavy lifting off our shoulders. But as you say, we, we needed to massage that. And there were also a few gaps in the, in the book. So I think of those 11 transcripts and the nine chapters in our model, there were maybe three or four that were completely blank and we had to write from scratch. And so we divided them up between ourselves and got busy writing them. Uh, and rather than using one of these collaboration tools like Google Docs, 
to hold our master document, we used Microsoft Word, and you were the boss of that, Gihan. Uh, and I was a little reticent to do that at first because this was a book about collaborating online, and I felt we should practice what we preached. And uh, but I think the problem was that Google Docs doesn't have all the the styling tools that um, Microsoft Word has, and we really did need those those finishing touches applied to the book. So we used. I used Google Docs to share individual snippets with you, but ultimately you merged them into a master document in Microsoft Word. Yeah, and I think we tried it, didn't we? we? We thought about doing everything in Google Docs and then copying and pasting into Word, but we found that when we did that, for some strange reason, Google Docs didn't manage styles very well, so it would have meant going through and editing every paragraph to match a style later rather than just doing a like a search and replace of all the styles uh, at the end. That's right. Google Docs seemed to have its own set of styles, and that would have made it hard to merge them with another document that had Microsoft Word styles. So we went with Microsoft Word, and it worked out pretty well. You had to do all that uh, that merging, Gihan, so it was easy for me. Yeah, and then I guess so, uh, go on. I just had one comment there. I think that if you are working together and you're not going to use a collaborative tool like Google Docs, uh, so exactly what we did, so we decided not to. We had to have something like Word. Just make sure that you make a decision about who's going to have the master version. So as you said, Chris, I'm the boss of you, <laughs> or I was the boss of you. Um, but we made a decision that I had the master version, which also meant a bit, of, bit more extra admin work on my part, but it meant that we never got into that position where we were both had two versions of the Word document, or so our own versions of the Word document that we were editing and then they got out of sync. So you had to work a little bit harder because you couldn't make your changes directly into the document and I had to work a little bit harder because I had to then take your changes and, and add them to the document. But by having one master version rather than two that we were sharing, it it just made it... We didn't have the problem with mistakes about overwriting old versions. Uh, so if you're not collaborating on one document in the cloud, then decide who's going to control the master version. Yeah. And so because we didn't have a, a master document in the cloud, the way that we worked around that was to use another sharing tool called Dropbox, where once you had a, a draft ready for my review, for example, you'd make it available via your Dropbox account, and then I could pick it up and go through and and review it. So just just thinking now, Chris, do you think that we could have done anything different to make our lives easier? I think that there is a Microsoft version of Google Docs or a Microsoft equivalent of that, and maybe we could have both had access to a Microsoft Word document in the cloud. Um, that would have changed the way in which we worked, as you said, being more careful about changing each other's changes if we were working on a single master document in the cloud. So we could have tried that, but whether that would have been better than what we did, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I was just curious about whether you had any ideas there. Yeah. Maybe for the next book we can try that, Kihan. Yeah. You're, you're still willing to write another book with me after all this? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I would. <laughs> so so eventually we had pretty much a complete a draft manuscript. So we had all the text in place and it was time to start revising it. And so we've gone through several uh, revision passes 
And as I said, we, you would share that document with me in uh, using Dropbox. And then what I'd do is I'd go through that document and then there was a revisions document which we did share in Google Docs and I would uh, list all the changes and edits that I thought were needed in that document which you would be able to access and you could pick up and make those changes to the master document. And then after every review or every couple of reviews perhaps, we'd meet face-to-face just to make sure that we were happy with uh, the process and work out what we were going to do next. And in addition to making our own reviews and revisions to the document, once we had, we were getting close to what we thought was the final draft, we made the mistake of, no, it wasn't a mistake, in fact, it was a fantastic idea. What we did was we asked our families, friends and colleagues to review our manuscript. Again, you shared it via Dropbox. And we got tons of feedback, really good feedback. We asked people like my mum, who's very much a, a, an internet neophyte, but is very pernickety about style and punctuation and grammar. So a lot of my mother's feedback was very much based on those kinds of things, as well as uh, a guy like Jimmy, a friend of ours, who's a fellow computer science graduate and works with the Internet on a daily basis and is very familiar with the kinds of tools and concepts we were discussing. And so his feedback was very much focused on the content rather than the style. So we had lots and lots of useful feedback on everything from style to content, And as a consequence, we had lots and lots of changes that we needed to make. So uh, there was another set of rounds of revisions that, again, we used Google Docs to share those uh, those reviews and revisions that we were making. Yeah, and I've I've written a number of books, Chris, and this is the this was actually quite new to me, uh, handing it out for review so early in the process. Uh, I've done it a few other times, but usually when I've got pretty close to the end and I'm just looking for proofreading or final comments. And to be honest, and I think you made this comment as well, I thought we were pretty close to the end. When yeah, we, I think we, we, we thought we were getting near the end, didn't we? Yeah, we thought it was like final proofreading, but as it turned out, uh, we weren't as close to the end as we thought. Yeah, and this was like four or five months ago. And I thought, okay, well, we'll just get these last final comments and we'd have it out by the end of June probably. And here we are in the middle of September, uh, just about to, to publish now. So it did take a bit of time, but I'm so so grateful that we did that. And as you said, we, we asked a range of people. Uh, I asked some clients who were perhaps, perhaps interested in the digital nomad lifestyle. I asked my friend Ruth, who works in, a, in an organization, in a company. So she might be interested in that semi-commuter lifestyle. Uh, we asked a couple of other people who were from you know, our target market, our ideal readers, but people from a range of different uh, perspectives. And as you said, like your mum, uh, her edits were the most difficult, so she was the most painful to deal with, <laughs> but really the most valuable, partly they were the, one of the most valuable as well. So I found it really useful to go through and make all of those really detailed changes. And we, you know, we didn't use an editor or proofreader or people that some people would use. If you go to a publisher, you might have the services of editors or proofreaders, but we had just such brilliant reviewers and such brilliant reviews that it was worthwhile doing it that early, and as a result, the book is so much better now. Yeah, we had some significant structural changes, didn't we? The introduction, we really trimmed down and got into the meat of the book much more quickly and moved a lot of that stuff out to appendices, which has really improved the book, I think. Yeah, exactly, and I think that uh, you know, again, like we're talking about writing a book together, and I guess we should expand together to our collaboration to also include the people who reviewed along the way. Mm, yep. 
Uh, and when we were doing those changes, uh, you know, this comes back to the question, Chris, of how you manage that master version. What I did, what eventually I started doing, was using Microsoft Word's Track Changes feature, which allows you to look at all the changes as you're making them through the document. But eventually I discarded that because Microsoft Word also has a feature that allows you to compare two documents, and it then lists all the changes in that. So I ended up doing that, and that's what I've done for the last couple of revisions, that I would send you, Chris, a version of the document saved as a PDF file because you weren't reading it in Word, but I'd also send you another version which showed the differences. So you could see highlighted in red all the differences since the previous version, and I'm going to send that to you, in fact, for the last revision, Chris, so the, after my proofread that I've just done, I will send you a full version of the book, but also a version with just the changes in case you don't want to read the whole book again, but you just want to see what I've changed. Okay, great. So... That means we are getting close to publishing the book. And other things that we need, other than the stuff that goes between the covers, is the actual cover. So, again, we went out to Elance and uh, put out a, a project to work on and design the front cover and back cover for our book. And uh, we got a lot of uh, bids, didn't we? Over 20 or so, which we reviewed. And you also invited one of the... Um, one of the guys that you'd worked with for covers of previous books to put in a bid. And we narrowed it down to two, uh, one other guy and Manoj, who's done work for you before. And we made the mistake of not choosing Manoj initially. initially. Uh, yeah, that's my fault. I really should have said, okay, Manoj has done some great work for me in the past. I want to reward loyalty, so we should have just gone with him. But just for the sake of trying somebody different, we did. And as you said, that was a mistake. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, after some initial uh, initial failed attempts at getting uh, this other contractor to produce something that we liked, we switched to Manoj and uh, started uh, making good progress. Uh, but rather than just cancelling the project with this initial guy, we thought we'd just let it sputter along and, and see if he can actually start producing anything valuable. But in the end, he actually pulled the pin and there was no great loss. Uh, and as a consequence, we have a, we're getting close to a final great design for our front and back covers from Manoj. Yeah, and I think that's one of the risks that you take with Elance. Uh, and we knew that... Sometimes elancers can take a while, even people that you've worked with before, because they've got lots of other projects and they may just be unavailable. So we actually started the book cover design process uh, with plenty of time in hand. And so I'd recommend that as well. And as it turned out, that was very useful because two weeks into the three-week project initially with that first provider, we decided, no, this is no good. So we went to Manoj. And I, th I thought that was a very clever idea of yours, Chris, to say let's let's actually work with both of them, given that we'd committed to one of them already, and let's see who comes up with a better design. But as it ended up, the first provider was no good, and so he cancelled. And we got our money back, but we we could have continued. If he'd been reasonable, we could have continued and had two, two goes at it. Yeah. And um, for the design, there's some interesting things that we did for the design, which I think that, that I've done this before, and I think it's really worth it's worth sharing some of the ideas because we were coming up with our own design. We weren't going to a publisher who was going to design the cover for us. So because I'd done a number of books in the past, I gave Manoj um, the book covers that I'd done in the past, which was useful. But also we went to Amazon.com and found some books that we liked, the covers that we liked. We didn't have didn't necessarily have to be the same sort of topic area or even the same genre. We found some covers that we liked so we could send that to a designer and say, look, we want something like this. And um, we basically want a plain 
a fairly plain background, a simple cover. Uh, I had some, I had an iStock photo account, so that, usually those elancers will come up with their own photos or they'll buy photos from these photo sharing sites. But because I had an account with some credits in it, I was quite happy to look at, look up iStock photo and you did the same, Chris, and we found some um, possible photos and we sent them off to Manoj and the other designer and then the eventual photo that Manoj chose we went on, I went off and bought it using my iStock photo account so it didn't cost him anything extra but it also meant that we could give him some uh, ideas of some photos that we liked um, same with the ISBN so I already had, I bought a set of ISBNs and I had one spare so I was able to use that, uh, there's a website called barcodegenerator.com for $10 you can generate a barcode that goes along with your ISBN and also so we used a QR code, which is one of those two-dimensional barcodes. So we stuck that on the back of the book so that people could scan it with their phone and go straight to the book's website. Um, what else? Well, I guess with the back, cl- the back cover, again, uh, the blurb that we wrote for the back cover, we we wrote it reasonably late in the piece, but it is one of the things that some people recommend that you write the back cover blurb early so that especially if you're working together with someone, then like you and I, Chris, could have discussed what we were going to put on the back cover and that would have helped solidify our idea of the target reader and what, what angle we were going to take with the book. Uh, but we wrote it reasonably late and I drafted a version which you reviewed and had a couple of comments on and then we sent it off to Manoj and he's done a pretty good job of putting that on the back cover. Sorry, you can say something, Chris? I, I was going to mention the fantastic testimonials from Ian Berry and Ian Hutchinson. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the things that another side benefit of sending it out for review first. Yeah, and uh, I've looked at uh, the latest version of the back cover just this morning, and it's uh, it's almost done, and it looks fantastic. So I'm very happy with uh, the work that Manoj has done. Now you mentioned uh, the QR code, the quick response code. It's like a 2D barcode, and that encodes uh, the book's website, uh, outofofficebook.com. And we're using that also as an online resource center. So throughout the book, at the end of most of our chapters, we have the QR code and also in some of the footnotes we have links that are based on our book as well on the online resource centre that takes the reader to more material that we reference. So things like um, articles that we refer to about telecommuting and then some of our podcasts and other other documents that um, back up the sort of material that we presented through the book. Yeah, and it's probably worth mentioning that we actually have two QR codes and two separate QR codes. So on the back of the book, we have one that takes people to the website, the the public website, outofofficebook.com, as you said. And that's where people who pick up the book and they're just curious and they just want to scan it, go to the website. And as you said, inside, at the end of each chapter, we've got another QR code, but that one's different. It's the same at the end of each chapter. It's the same code, but that goes to a private page, which is supposedly only for people who bought the book and uh, they can get access to a page that's not visible from elsewhere, but that's the online resource center. And for people who don't have QR codes or who don't know what QR codes are, don't have smartphones, of course, we also tell people how to go to the book and type in a pa- go to the website, type in a password, and that gets them access to the private page. Now, of course, there's nothing to stop somebody from picking up the book, flicking through the chapters, and even if they haven't bought it, they could scan that QR code, but we don't mind that too much. And in fact, one of the people, Ian Berry, who kind provide this testimonial that you mentioned earlier, Chris. Uh, when he did his recent book, he's also got this idea of this online resource centre, but it's public. You can even go to his website and you get the access to the online resource centre. So 
There's a little bit of perceived value in keeping it private, but you don't have to do that. But more and more now, people, authors, are actually creating some sort of online resource for their book because books go out of date pretty quickly. But the readers, if they go to the online resource center, can we can put updates in the book, um, updates to the book, anytime that we want to. Yep. Uh, so we're getting close to publishing, Chris, and I'm hoping that in the next couple of weeks we actually will be sending it off to a printer. Uh, so I guess we should we should make the point that we are going to publish it in both print and ebook formats, which has become a real a real question nowadays. It wasn't always; it was just a question of, yeah, 90% of your sales are going to come from print, and then you might publish an ebook version for the small percentage of people who got e-readers. But now that's really changed, and e-readers and ebooks have become mainstream. So we had no, we really didn't think much. We really didn't think twice about whether we're going to have an ebook version as well. Um, if anything, uh, the question is whether we have a print version. And in fact, the other book that I'm co-authoring at the moment, we've decided to start with an ebook-only version, and then look for a publisher to do the print version. So I don't know whether you ever thought about whether we'd have an ebook version or whether that was always going to be on the cards. What did you think? Yeah, I think we did. I think that was part of the plan. And I, I guess when it comes to publishing the ebook version, there might be a little bit of redrafting. I think you, you've mentioned that the formatting for an ebook is quite different from a paginated print book. Yeah, it is, absolutely. So there is a bit of work in creating the two. It's not as simple as just saving it as a PDF file and saying, here's the ebook. Actually, you can do that, but there are other formats that Amazon requires and uh, Apple requires to be able to read them comfortably and conveniently on things like tablets and iPads and phones and things like that. So with the print version, we're going to use Optima Digital, which is a local Perth-based company that I've used for printing my books in the past. We're probably going to do only a very small print run, and that means it's going to cost us between $10 and $15 a book. But we kind of budgeted that when we created a budget right at the start. We probably should have mentioned that, Chris. I, I gave you an estimate of how how much money we'd have to spend for the whole process. I think it was probably a slight underestimate, but it wasn't too too badly off, was it? Over budget and over time. <laughs> exactly. That's, <laughs> that's how I always like to work. <laughs> uh, but it's going to end up being reasonable, a reasonable cost. So if we, let's say we print 100 books, it's going to cost us about maybe $1,200, so about $600 each for, for the printing. So for 50 books, with 50 books each. Then, when we get to the ebook version, I've used smashwords.com for my last book, Fast, Flat and Free. And that's great because you upload your book as a Word document and it converts it into all the formats, almost all the formats that, you, that are needed for ebook versions, uh, for, for ebooks. So it'll convert it and actually publish it to the iTunes store. It'll convert it into a format that uh, you can read in a Kindle. It'll, con- it'll save it as PDF format if you can't do that already. And um, it makes it available on the Smashwords website, which I found is a pretty popular website. So I've had a number of sales through Smashwords. The one thing it doesn't do yet, it hasn't yet got a deal with Amazon, hasn't yet set up the partnership where it will publish it automatically to the Amazon.com website. Um, What I've read is that it's going to come out in September, October, which is just about now, almost Mm. as we speak. Uh, But in the meantime, I'm also going to investigate bookbaby.com, which is another ebook publishing service that will create a version that you can publish to the Kindle. Now, to use Smashwords, Smashwords is free. It doesn't cost you anything to publish your book there, and they just take a commission on each sale. So they're 
they're like a publisher, except that they give you the lion's share of the sale and they take a small commission. Uh, Book Baby, they take the money up front and they don't take a commission on sales. So it's a, the, the opposite models, but I'm going to try both. And uh, that might be the quickest way to get our book into the uh, into Amazon.com. And that's, that's going to be the ebook version, I think, Chris. I, I don't know that we're going to try and get the printed book into Amazon because we might have to set it up with a U.S. distributor. Okay. So I reckon that's, that's what we're going to do with publishing. Sounds good. Okay, so the other thing that is interesting in the way that we've gone through this process is we've done some promotion beforehand. So we did set up a website. We set up the outofofficebook.com website, which is actually a WordPress blog, uh, months in advance. So I can't remember how long we've had it, Chris, maybe about six months. Yeah. Do you think six months? Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, okay. And we have been publishing regularly to that blog. So we've had six months' worth of blog posts. So every two or three weeks, we publish a blog post. Some of it may be an extract from the book, so just take an article, or take something from the book, convert it into an article, and publish it to the blog. And some of it's just stuff that we've come across as we've done our research, or just in a normal, in a normal work day. So there have been videos from YouTube and TED.com. There have been cartoons that I saw you published, a Dilbert cartoon recently. So we've just been keeping that website alive so that when we publish the book in a few weeks' time, it won't look like an empty blog. There will actually be activity on there. We've even set up a MailChimp subscription form so that people can subscribe to the newsletter so that we've kind of tried to be building up activity beforehand. And I actually like that approach better than what I've seen some other book publishers do or book authors do, which is in the weeks leading up to the book, they send out a number of emails or tweets saying, hey, the book's coming out, look out for it, or a big surprise, or there's going to be a 10% discount if you buy now, which is all promotional. But what we've been doing is providing content, and we hope high-value content, leading up to the book launch. Yes. And in addition to that, we've been exploiting social media very gently. I've seen that uh, you mentioned uh, the Out of Office Book website on Google+, and I've also mentioned it on Facebook. So we've been spreading it amongst our circles of friends, to use the Google Plus terminology. Yeah, and can I just say that one of the reasons we can do that is because we do have the website. Yeah. So we've been mentioning it. Like I've mentioned it, I've put up a video about Arthur C. Clarke and how I predicted how we'd all be digital nomads by now. Uh, one of our mutual friends, Matt Hearn, mentioned the Out of Office book, and it just gave us a chance. And actually, Matt kindly re- linked to the website as well. So because we had a website, we didn't just have to mention the book, but we could send people to the website as well, which we were really comfortable doing because we weren't trying to sell anything at that point. It was just a free resource. That's right, Yeah. And, of course, we've mentioned it uh, a couple of times in the the Focal Point podcast as well. And then just uh, old-fashioned social media, uh, our family and friends are aware that we're writing a book. We've been telling them that we're working on a book together, so they all know that uh, that's going to be coming out soon, and they're waiting with bated breaths for their next Christmas presents. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm sure they'll be very happy with that. (laughs) So any last thoughts before we finish, Chris? Yeah, well, let's wrap it up, Kihan. I was going to say that... um, collaborating on the book was really easy and cheap because we were able to use the collaborative tools that we talk about in the book. All this Web 2.0 technology has made that really easy. We haven't had to pick up the phone or write letters or meet face-to-face to work together on the book. We've been able to use Google Docs and Dropbox and good old-fashioned email and Skype uh, to work on this book together. So that's made it easy and it's made it cheap. 
I think the other thing is that even though we said we've used all these online tools, I really did enjoy the face-to-face meetings as well. And what we used to do typically was get together for lunch, a long boozy lunch. Oops, I mean <laughs> a long lunch. Uh, nice. And, yeah, a long productive lunch where we'd have a bit of a social chit-chat as well as talk about the book. And yeah. I really enjoyed that aspect of it as well. Uh, so as much as we were really productive with the online tools, the face-to-face meetings were also a very – there was a big part of the benefit for me of writing the book. Yep, absolutely. And then uh, when it's come to publishing it as well, um, as you've mentioned, Smashwords and Baby Book are really um, cheap and easy entrees to publishing e-books. And then the print version, we're not going to print too many, that's not going to be particularly expensive either. Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, just one small correction is bookbaby, bookbaby.com uh, rather than baby book. Oh, sorry. Yes, good point. I think, it's, I think it was created by the guy who started CD Baby, which you might have come across, Chris, because you're very much into that online CD sharing stuff. I have a vague recollection of it, but no, it's not a site I've visited regularly. Okay. If, if it's maybe, not it was, same... maybe it was Baby CD that I was visiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't the same guy, it's certainly the same. It's an offshoot of the same company, I think. Yeah, okay. But probably the most difficult aspect has been the actual writing. I know that you're uh, comfortable writing, Gihan. You've done a lot of it as part of your work. But it's it's something that I found was hardest. Um, So I made sure that I, every day, every work day, that I would spend some time on the book to make sure that I got through it and got something done and was productive. And then the revision process has taken quite a while because we found that we had more revision to do than we expected. Um, And... You know, revising me, revising means looking carefully at the book, thinking hard about it, and and revising it. So that's probably taken uh, longer and was harder than I anticipated. But some of the early heavy lifting, which would have been tedious and time-consuming and probably would have meant I wouldn't have wanted to do the book at all, that was the transcription services and the initial massage that we got done by Elance contractors. A lot of that sort of got got the book off the ground uh, quicker and more easily than otherwise would have been the case. Yeah, I think you make an interesting point, Chris, about your discipline around writing and the, the, the strategy that you chose. In fact, one of the points for making the book is judge, ask your manager to judge your results. When, you, when you're out of office, uh, judge you based on results rather than time spent and maybe even what hours you work. And uh, I think this is a perfect example because you said that you worked on the book every day. I didn't. So my approach was to... Sp- set aside large chunks of time, where, which I set aside to work on the book. So it meant that I wasn't working on it every day, although I might have spent as much time per week on it, whereas you decided to spend time every day. And until now, I didn't even know that that was your strategy, but, uh, or that was your discipline. But I think that's, that's something that you find when you're working out of office, that you're the two people working together on a book can work on it at their own pace, at their own time, uh, in their own time of day, and uh, at whatever in whatever way suits them best, as long as they're really clear about deadlines and what you're working towards. So I think that made a big difference, the, the fact, or made a big impact, the fact that we were both working on it independently, but we're pretty clear about our deadlines. That's right, yep. <laughs> Even though we missed all of them. <laughs> <laughs> we had clear deadlines to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I do think that part of that was, like I really, initially when we started the book, I thought, okay, the the outsourcers, the, the the transcripts and the ghostwriting 
uh, would do most of the work for us. I thought it would do at least 50% of the work, and I think it's probably end up doing about 20 to 25% of the work. And um, sure. in a way, I'm really pleased that we've put so much effort into this book, Chris. I've written a number of books, and this is the one I probably put the most work into. Okay. It's been, but it's been really enjoyable because I think the, the end result is going to reflect the amount of work that we put into the book. And speaking of the end result, hopefully by the time we speak to our focal point audience next, it will be complete. Yes, yes, I hope so. Which might, which might mean that you may not get another episode for three months. That's right. <laughs> no, we will have it. We will have it, I think, by this time next month. Fabulous. Thank you, Chris. It's been an enjoyable collaboration, which is almost complete, and uh, it's an enjoyable collaboration on this podcast episode as well. All right. I'll speak to you in about a month's time, Gihan. Will do. Thanks, Chris. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes, or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.